0: Oh, well, good morning. Would you enter with me in prayer, please? Lord God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here in this place and in freedom, Lord. Pray that you would bless each of us who are here, bless our ears, bless our hearts, open our minds, Lord, to hear your words. I pray that you would use the words that I speak for your glory, even my mistakes and my ignorance, Lord. I ask that you would fill each of us with your spirit, Lord, and let us be mindful of your will and purpose in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, many of you know me, but there's some things you don't know about me. (laughs) One of them is, you know, I'm a counselor. I could actually diagnose myself with ADHD. Just ask my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Ha! I, you know, ADHD is an interesting thing. It's kind of a superpower if you can control it. Because inside my head and other folks with ADD or ADHD, there's these little synopses, they're like stars. And so I could be thinking of one thing, like I need to go out to the garage and do something, and on my way, I see, a, I don't know, um, something the dog needs, and then I'm over there, and then I forget that, and then I go over there, and then this sparks, and all the time to even complicate that matter. Not only am I ADHD, but I'm also an extrovert. Mm -hmm. Now an extrovert processes things out loud, right? So when I'm thinking about all these things, oh, the dog needs water, I got to go pick up that thing in the garage, I got to go work in the library, all that's coming out of my mouth out loud. And guess who gets to hear me? Carrie. (laughs) I drive her insane, (laughs) because I speak my thoughts out loud. So, I don't know if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs or not, but I, on the Myers-Briggs, am an extrovert, intuitive feeler perceiver, ENFP. I live in the clouds. I can see around corners and look down deep inside of meanings and so forth. makes me a great counselor and a terrible husband for someone like my wife. (laughs) She, on the Myers-Briggs, is an ISTJ, completely the opposite. She's an introvert. She processes internally. She's subject, right, thinker, and judge. She has to have everything in an orderly fashion. It all has to be in line, logical, linear. And I'm all the way up here. And, yeah, so two opposite people you could not meet. The reason I'm telling you this is because everybody in your world and in your realm of influence and relationship we're all different you couldn't be more different than me and carrie but we managed to make it work and in my work as a counselor with the couples i work with and the people that i work with there are things that can help them become more successful more functioning and more effective in their relationships including their marriage There's all kinds of people, but there's three things we all need in our relationships that can help us be effective and work through the problems. And they are safety, commitment, and communication. Safety, commitment, communication. Safety is important because in intimate relationships, we take great risks in being vulnerable and authentic. Risking ridicule and emotional harm with someone who knows us better than anybody else and who can beat us, um, hurt us very deeply, if they so desire. It is important that we feel safe in all realms and work toward gaining that sense of safety by setting boundaries and limits and expectations and relating what we are willing to tolerate and what we are not. And this has been almost a 34 year process and we're still working on it, it's okay. That's good for every relationship. We have to feel safe with each other. We have to be safe enough to be real. The other part is commitment and it is absolutely necessary. We must know without doubt that no matter what we will not be forsaken abandoned or rejected every human has three basic needs to be known to be heard and to be accepted I see you I hear you I welcome you that's very important God made us that way he made us for communion with everyone else we all need to be in community in a herd if you will That's why in our wedding vows we promise to have and to hold for better for worse, for richer for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do we part. We have to have that commitment because it's that commitment that carries us through the tough times, the arguments, the disagreements, the disappointments, the intolerances. If I know you're going to be with me no matter what, I can continue to be me and work toward being a better me. I think that's why God put Carrie and I together, because I needed her strength and her stability to cause me to work, to slow down, come down from the clouds, and think about things a little bit slower and deeper so that she and I could get along. And I draw her out. Oh, that's hard for her, but she does it, and it's good for both of us. God is good. It is the knowledge that someone will always be with us that leads us into taking greater risks toward love. Things like speaking the truth, being authentic with our thoughts and feelings, and not giving up on working to become kinder, wiser, stronger, more forgiving, and more compassionate. It doesn't always succeed the first, second, or third time, sadly. But we must always strive to become better at loving God Loving ourselves and loving each other. Communication is the last of the three, but oh, so important, because that is the channel by which we establish safety and commitment. It is through our words and our actions that we are communicating our safety and commitment to you, and we establish safety with each other. It is so important that we communicate It is a risk to speak honestly about our thoughts and feelings. And when we enter into an intimate relationship, we have the opportunity to learn, change, and grow, becoming better persons, better lovers, and bearers of each other's heart. This requires an honest, authentic, and sometimes painful communication. We're at times tempted to give up and remain silent. But that truly is one step away from relational death. There are four hearses of the apocalypse from the Gottman Institute in Seattle that leads us to places we don't want to go. We hop on the old sway-back nag called defense. so easy to ride. We get defensive. If that doesn't get us what we want, we move down toward criticism. I don't like the way you do that. You don't do this right. You're always doing this, and you never do that. Bad. If that doesn't get us what we want, we move down into contempt. Now we're attacking the person's character, who they are. You're always such a, and you never do this because you're always attacking character. Don't do that. But the last one is the worst one. It's called stonewalling. This is where we don't even talk to each other. We're so tired of the fight and the argument. We give up. That's one step away from the death of a relationship. Don't go there. No matter how painful it is, no matter how frightening it is, you have got to stay in communication. Absolutely necessary. I bring these concepts up because we must recognize that we have been placed on this earth empowered by the Holy Spirit to engage the world around us in relationship. We must be willing to risk our safety in order that we may touch more deeply the hearts of the lost. I'm not talking about physical safety. I'm talking about mental, emotional, relational safety. We must be so engaged in love that those with whom we come in contact know without doubt that we love them, even when things get tough or uncomfortable. In the second season of The Chosen, Jesus and his disciples enter into Samaria, and they are aware that they are entering into a hostile area. Jews and Samaritans are historic enemies. Samaritans are rejected by the Jews because of past sin. Samaritans are angry with Jews because of their unforgiving and unloving hearts. When Jesus had gone out by himself early in the morning, to go and stand alongside the road where um, people travel and there were Samaritans, he went out there to try to build a bridge and maybe some kind of communication. But James and John, the sons of thunder, out of fear, decided to go track him down. And when they went out there and the Samaritans, just because of their historic rejection by the Jews, we're not happy that they were there. So they were you know, saying negative things to them and calling them names. And I think they even threw rocks. How do you think James and John responded? In like mind. Throwing out terrible words, negativity, and Jesus rebuked them. Why? Because we're supposed to love even our enemies and they came and ruined the whole scenario. Mm. Could it be that we are now exhibiting those same kinds of prejudices and divisions which threaten our ability to obey the Lord's command, to go and make disciples of all men. I don't believe it is our call to judge anyone. In fact, when Jesus first came, even he did not come to judge john 12 47 states if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them i do not judge him for i did not come to judge the world but to save the world and we get so confused thinking that we're here to save somebody and to drag them kicking and screaming from their life and their order and their path that's not our call what are we supposed to do love them Preach the gospel and be true. We're not called to judge, but to love. Now, a word of caution. There is a faction of society that do not truly understand what love is. It is not tolerance of sin, nor contrary living to God's laws. If we love someone, we're not going to enable them to continue killing themselves. Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. We're going to interject hope and love and talk to them about, you could have a better life. I found Jesus. There's hope and joy. You don't even have to say it. Just show it. It's inviting. I see you, I hear you, I welcome you. Just because we are to love others does not mean that we condone sin or things that are contrary to their health in all realms. We speak correction if we must, but in love. We do not condemn. That is left to God at the time of his judgment. Sometimes we love others by allowing them to go the way they choose. We are not their God, nor are we their keeper, And nor do we know the path that God has for them. Just because you see someone out on the street and they look, not good. They smell, not good. They're doing things that you know are destructive. You have no right to speak anything to them other than the gospel if you will, because we don't know the path that God has for them. We don't know what God has them going through so that they will, at the bottom of the barrel, turn to Him. How dare we interfere? We only interfere in love. Approach all with love and leave some in love. We now live in a time when the challenges to righteousness and truth are under attack from many sides. Our schools, our churches, and our very principles of freedom are under siege, and the bulwarks of our faith are being battered daily with wave upon wave with the outcry of evil. Evil has stolen the promises and symbols Of good that we have lived by for centuries. They have taken the positive concepts of what is pure and righteous and have stained them with the stench of death. They have stolen our rainbow. They have tainted national pride and they have called the truth a lie. Paul warns us of this time in 1st Timothy chapter 3. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such as these. Evil continues to pound against the walls and the foundations of our homes, our families, and our faith. Sin has become a river of filth and a torrent of temptation, like a raging flood carrying away the foolish, the weak, and the wayward. We need to be in fellowship. As if this were not enough, we wrestle within ourselves, in our bodies, our hearts and our minds against the shame and guilt of past sin, condemning ourselves and believing the lies of Satan who knows our history. We must not listen to the condemning voice of the father of lies who wants to keep us captive in self-doubt and binding shame, we must step into the identity that Christ has provided for us, for we are a new creation. A new creation in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So why do we walk around like this? We're a new creation. We should be full of joy, the fruit of the Spirit, and all that stuff, right? I don't want to come and follow somebody who's a grump and a curmudgeon. I want to follow somebody who has hope and life and vibrancy. That old devil would like nothing more than to guilt us into not walking in the power present in us through the Holy Spirit. He wants us to forget that we are forgiven in Christ, He strives to weaken our resolve toward righteousness and holiness. If he weakens our testimony, we will not be about preaching the gospel and leading others toward accepting the forgiveness found in Christ. We struggle against the flood of temptation that is nearly impossible to avoid in this world of constant and incessant images and lyrics. And not only that, In Ephesians 6.12, we find that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How can we stand against such forces? We can't. Not on our own. Here's a quote by Anthony Liccioni, which I really like. And it says, A tree stands strong, not by its fruits or branches, but by the depths of its roots. We must remain firmly rooted on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We cannot go out in our own power and expect to have victory If we're walking in our own way, we have to be in the Spirit and led by the Spirit, seeking His will. Jesus had strong words to say to us as we battle against temptation, shame, and guilt. He loves us and wants us to have victory over our past, over our sin, and over the cares of the world. He wants that for us. He knows the battle we're in. And as a good general, he does not pull any punches in demanding our commitment toward righteousness. In fact, he sounds rather harsh when in Matthew 18:8 eight through 9, he says, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. That's harsh. I don't know if Jesus meant to literally cut off one's foot or hand or pluck out an eye, But I do believe that releasing ourselves from sin, some pleasurable addiction, can feel just as impossible as cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. And yet we must keep striving to do so to reveal more completely Christ's righteousness in us. That is the process that we call sanctification, that all believers are in as we strive to reveal Christ in us Do you really know that? Do you really know that? Do you really feel that and experience that Christ is in you? Do you walk in power and victory, or do you walk in doubt and fear? That's not of Christ. Ephesians 5:15 through21 reminds us that, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise I don't think that you can be a curmudgeonly Christian and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It breaks us out of our dullness, our dimness. I do want to bring your attention to that word dissipation. Because when you read that, it's like, I don't even know what that means. It sounds really old. Does it apply to me? Oh, yes, it does. Now, the definition of dissipation is this. A wasting by misuse, mental distraction, amusement to diversion. It is a dissolute way of living, excessive drink or lack of control. Lack of control, it is a slow seeping of our energy. It is a a slow seeping of our interest and the way that we walk and talk and commune. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't believe you can have the first eight if you don't really take care of that last one. And where does self-control come from? Following the Lord. Seeking His will in our life. We must be careful how we speak to ourselves and of what we believe about ourselves. We must realize that in this battle we cannot give in to the luxury of blaming ourselves, our parents, our teachers, or God for the terrible things that have happened to us or that we have happened upon others. We are weakened if we dwell in that place of negative thought we must acknowledge and accept the truth of Romans 8, 1 through 9. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Are we? For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, I want you to think about this here. I'm going to go back here to, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And yet, we sometimes expect others who do not know Christ, who are not saved, who do not contain the Spirit in them, to act as if they do. That's ridiculous. We're called to love them, not change them. We're called to love them, not save them. We're called to love them, not judge them. They can't do what we can do because we have Christ. Our call is to love them and in that love encourage them to change. We can do this. We can stand firm against the world and for the truth of the gospel. We can be that tree That stanchion planted firm on the foundation of Christ, who is our rock. Standing firm against the torrential flood of evil that is sweeping away so many people. Sweeping them away in today's confused, divided, and angry world. (laughs) It's saddening to see what's happening in the world today. The confusion is rampant. All this stuff about transgenderism, all this stuff about identity, all this stuff about you're not really who God made you to be, you're somebody else. It's nuts. But we're still called to love them. In order to stand firm, we must be planted in Scripture watered with prayer, fertilized with fellowship, and we must seek rest and peace apart from the world in a quiet place communing with our God. Who gave us the example of that? Jesus often went off by himself to commune with his Father, to renew his spirit and his courage. We ought to do no less. We need that time of quiet and rest. Jesus makes us a promise recorded in Matthew 24. He states, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Praise God. That should bring us joy and hope. Let me end with this word from our Lord recorded in John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this darkening world, we must be the light that shines in the darkness. And believers, be a forest of trees standing in the rivers of of nations holding out hope and rescue to those caught in the currents of destruction. Are you a living tree? Are you breathing life? Are you taking the crap and turning it into gold? With the words of life, the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You've called us to a great work, and we are incapable of fulfilling it without your Spirit in us, Lord. And I pray that you would bless each of us with open eyes, open ears, and open minds that we can see who we truly are in Christ. Turn us around from negativity, from false belief, from weakness and fear and cause us to walk in victory, in love, and in hope, Lord, that we bring with us and offer to the world around us in the relationships that you bring us, Lord. I pray that you would bless us today and let these words rest and bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.